And we can be, uh, while the kids are heading down, we can find Second Peter. That's where we're going to be in the Word today. Right. We're going to have a wonderful, wonderful time in God's Word. Um, but it's not going to be an easy message, so I'm just warning you up front. This is um, a difficult uh, message, a difficult topic. I have been um, pretty much as disturbed this week as I think I maybe have ever been. Um, and last week I had mentioned, you know, there was a prominent Christian leader who had um, been discovered to have had a pretty significant moral failing. And more of that information has, you know, come out and been made public and known. Um, I didn't mention names, but... Uh, it should be, you know, in one sense shocking, in another sense it's not really surprising, but uh, Robbie Zacharias um, was one of the people I had, you know, personally thought was a um, significant voice in um, evangelical, you know, circles to just be clear and profound and trustworthy and um, you know, he died last year in May uh, of cancer, and, you know, a few years ago, uh, 2017, there was some little information that had come out about some possible inappropriate emails and things, and that kind of got, like, swept under the rug, and you kind of thought, well, that's probably, you know, just a misunderstanding or something, you know, just it couldn't be because you just think this person is so you know, high on the list of, of you know, prominent, um, not just known people, known leaders, but respectable and trustworthy, and, you know, his character seemed to be impeccable. He's like, well, that just couldn't have possibly been, you know, real. It must have been some thing, you know, that somebody's trying to trap him or something. Anyway, that all got uh, dismissed, etc. Um then here recently, Christianity Today posted or, or wrote an article uh, where three different ladies um, basically testified that there had been some inappropriate things. And so RZIM, which is uh, Ravi Zacharias's international ministry, um, they hired a professional investigation into, you know, these things to see if it was true if it was real or if it was you know false whatever so they they hired that done they got the report and then they published the report in full um, so what that report i'm not to go into any detail you know but uh, just a, a consistent pattern uh, lifestyle of sexual immorality and abuse and Okay, you have, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with him and his ministry, or, you know, this is just like somebody you don't even know about. You know, I, I'm sure some of you have been inspired by some of his teaching. Um, but uh, to me, it was 
shocking because this is a person who teaches apologetics. This is a person who clearly, you know, um, had, uh, um, you know, transferred the gospel to many, many people in many countries for many years. And then you see this, you know, lifestyle um, come out into the open. You, you think, what is going on here? This does not make sense. And so trying to work through that, you know, trying to figure out what really is happening here. And, and I'm not going to get into all the possible, you know, things, but you know, I keep going back to the Word of God, and, and the Word of God tells us, warns us, and teaches over and over and over that there will be false teachers. And there were false teachers back then, and there will always be false teachers, and you'll deal with false teachers. And there's two kinds of false teachers, okay? One is the person who teaches false things, okay? The person who teaches heresy, who twists and contradicts the Bible, but uses a Christian name to do that to lead people astray. And then there are the less obvious false teachers, which are people that teach the truth, but their life is false. And you, you don't see it up front. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And, and everything that, you know, you would receive as teaching would, would wash with the Word of God, and, and you couldn't reject or deny that, it, that what they teach is true. I've seen many teachers like that over the years that, you know, I, I have um, been um, taught by or inspired by, and you see, wow, their teaching is great. And then later you see their lifestyle is, is not just that they have a moral failing, but they're consistently um, in contradiction with their own teaching. And, uh, you know, it, it's a little disheartening. It's a little... It, but here's what happens for me. It becomes a little bit um, frightening to, to see that somebody could have such a knowledge of Jesus and have no transformation. But then, okay, you take it from that high-level person who has, you know, fallen, so to speak, and you say, okay, let's deal with the, the average person across the pew, okay? How many people um, are in the pew? No, we don't have pews, but <laughs> watching, listening, etc. week after week after week, hearing about Jesus, hearing the gospel, uh, hearing the truth, and never making that connection that there's something that has to happen for that to become a life-altering reality in your heart. Knowledge is not enough. Um, hearing is not enough. Even mentally agreeing is not enough. There has to be a transfer of that grace into your life. And one of the most frustrating things in ministry is the inability that we have to make that happen in anybody's life. Just to transfer the information and say, God will do his part, but if you're resistant to that, 
If, you, if you're just letting it wash over, nobody can make it happen in your heart. And we're talking about the most valuable thing that exists in the world, in the eternity, in the universe. The reality that you can live forever in paradise with God and have complete confidence that your life means something. I don't know what else is more valuable. I don't know why somebody would trade that in for momentary, worldly, disgusting, sinful pleasure that cannot be as satisfying as knowing the Lord. But if you don't know the Lord, then you, I guess you don't know that. And so... We're going to dive into chapter 1 of Second Peter because chapter 2 is all about false teachers, but chapter 1 is, is the solution for you and me not to fall into this category of people who know the truth and yet are not changed by the truth. How does that change occur? How does it become effective in your life? Okay, that's what, that's what we want to deal with. Um, I'm going to... Uh, reserve the judgment of false teachers for God. <laughs> I, I can't investigate everybody's background in life to know whether or not they're authentic or not. If you say you trust Jesus Christ, I'm going to believe that you're a saved person and the rest is going to be between you and the Lord and that teacher, that professor, that uh, evangelist, whoever they may be, that personality that's between them and the Lord. If their teaching is right, I'll agree with it. If it's wrong, then I'll call it out. Um, hopefully have the courage to do that. If their life is wrong, then when we know that, then we say, well, their life is wrong. I don't know why it didn't make a difference to them. I can't wrap my mind around it. But we're going to know and trust and be confident that God can make a difference in our lives. Amen. And so let's uh, stand as we read God's word this morning. Second Peter chapter one, we're going to pick it up in verse three. Second Peter chapter one, verse three says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add your faith to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. Catch this. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. 
you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that you um, guarantee these promises by the sacrifice of Jesus. You made them accessible to us, Lord, that you made them a reality to us and, and um, guaranteed in them by the deposit of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, God. We pray that every person who uh, begins that step of faith, Lord, would trust Christ, receive the Holy Spirit, have eternal life, and, and begin the process, Lord, the path of growth and maturity and uh, fruitfulness, Lord, for your kingdom, not only um, in our own lives, but Lord, really beyond that, we, we pray that we would uh, be uh, such examples of what it means to authentically apply every aspect of who you are to our lives, Lord, that um, we would never be shaken. And we're not shaken, Lord. We, we see the world and its darkness and, and all the tricks of our enemy and everything that he wants to do, and, and we see it clearly because your light shines in that dark place. And reveals that people are sinful, but you are good. <laughs> and so we direct our attention to you. And uh, we, we thank you that you are drawing us closer every day. Drawing us deeper into your word and into uh, the life that you have for us, Lord. Help us to live that life in such a way that you would be glorified. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, here's the, the basic bottom line is, is verse 4. He says, uh, these, these have been given to us by great and precious promises, the promises that uh, God has made throughout His Word about um, salvation, okay, that we can um, escape uh, condemnation because God is holy and we're sinful, okay, those promises. Um, are given to us so that we can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that the world, um, by its evil desires, creates. So here's all we want to understand, is that participation in the divine nature um, is not necessarily a foregone conclusion just because you believe something about God or the Bible or Jesus. When we talk about a participation in the divine nature, we're talking about uh, a new nature, okay, that happens in a person who has received the Holy Spirit. And so there is um, a transfer. This is why the Bible says that it's only those who are walking in the Spirit. It's only those who have received the Holy Spirit. It's only those that have, have been made new creatures in Christ that have the guarantee that the Holy Spirit cries out with our spirit, Abba, Father, which means that, that now that uh, something has transferred, it's not just an a intellectual thing that we think or maybe kind of believe. It's that we've received the Holy Spirit. And Jesus talks about receiving the Holy Spirit as a, a particular um, event that you in, intentionally engage in, okay? So uh, he talks about it this way. Jesus uses language that a lot of, uh, of us are kind of hesitant to use because it's not 
politically correct. He says, you who are evil. Okay, he, he blatantly lets us know that we, each and every one of us, are evil. Not that we just make mistakes or maybe sometimes do bad things, but we're inherently evil. And he says, you are evil, even though you're evil, <laughs> Um, you know how to give your children good things, right? If they ask you for a piece of bread, you don't give them a rock, okay? And we're like, yeah, of course, we, we take that for granted. He says, God, who is absolutely good, okay, he's not evil, do you think he's going to do less than, than that? And then what he says is, so if you ask for the Holy Spirit, then he will give it to you. And now... In the Gospel of Luke, he specifically says the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says good things, okay? But he specifically lets believers know that we can ask for the Holy Spirit. And my concern is that, that there are many people who um, believe in God and maybe even have trusted Jesus Christ and have never asked for the Holy Spirit. Just, it doesn't occur to many people that that would be something that you would ask for. Um, but you need to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within you, uh, to fill you, to uh, change you, okay? Um, and don't hesitate. If you've trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Holy Spirit is God's grace and power to live the Christian life. Without the Holy Spirit, you have no real power to overcome sin. You can try, you can, you can do a little bit on your own, but you cannot overcome the sinful nature that is inherent within you. You need the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible calls it grace. Charis is the power of God to enable you to live the Christian life. That's the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Okay, so the first thing is, as we begin to understand knowledge versus life change, is that I need to not just hope that I'm going to heaven because I've acknowledged that there's a God and I believe that Jesus is the Son. I need to experience, on a first-hand level, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and I need to ask for that. Okay. Once I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, He will do that. Now, from there, what happens is now you have the ability to escape the corruption of the world that is engaging and entangling you because of sinful desire. Does anybody have a sinful desire? How do you escape that, that desire that's constantly pulling and tugging at you? you well, it's all these things that we're going to talk about, because this is what Peter says. Um, this, is, this is what we're after, participation in divine nature, escaping sinful desire. So this is how it happens. Make every effort, okay, verse 5. Uh, make every effort to add to your faith, okay, and then he goes down the list. We have to begin with faith, and um, faith is not just that I acknowledge uh, faith is a conviction of the truth. That's, that's the biblical definition of what faith is. It's a conviction of the truth. So the truth is, 
what? You're like, oh, which truth are you looking for? <laughs> the truth is, the, the uh, absolute truth, as you want to call it that, is God himself. God is truth. His nature, who he is. He, he, is, um, he is existence itself. He is life. He is the power of, of, uh, of life. He is ultimate reality. God is truth. His word is true, and it is truth. He is revealed in his word who he is. Uh, sometimes, you know, as, as we are as a Baptist uh, church, um, very heavy on the Bible. Intentionally, uh, very much, we, we honor and respect God's Word as truth. And sometimes what can happen is we, we may almost worship the Bible, forgetting that the Bible is pointing us to God. Uh, the Bible is God's revelation of Himself. It is intended to lead you into a relationship with Him. Okay? The Bible is truth, but it's intended to bring you to the absolute truth, which is God. God has revealed who He is. God revealed uh, that He created the world, that He designed everyone particularly, specifically, has a plan for them. Um, he reveals our sinful nature. He reveals the path of salvation. And then he reveals his nature completely uh, in Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of God revealed to us because he lived it out um, in a human body, in a human life perfectly. And then he sacrificed that life showing us what love is. And what does he say love is? Love is when you lay down your life for your friends. And so he calls us friends. Because the truth is that he wants to have a relationship with us. Not just be believed in as a concept, but to know us and to be known and to have that daily walk. And so that's the truth, but what's conviction of the truth? It's like, I, I'm, I tell you those things and I know that 99% of you say, yes, I agree with that. That's the truth. God is the truth. These things about sin and redemption and Jesus, and all that, so I believe all that. Conviction of the truth is you're willing to die for it. That you're willing to lay your life down for this reality. That it's not just something you kind of think might be true. It's something that you say, if it came to it, I would be willing to lay my earthly life down uh, because I know that I'm going to receive eternally uh, a reward that is so far outweighs anything in this world that it just wouldn't even matter. If I had to die, if somebody did put a gun to my head, now most of us say, well, I don't know how that would be because I haven't been there yet. But you do kind of know how it might be because you've been challenged on a daily basis to lay down your life and your desires and the things that you want versus what God wants for you. And you can tell right now, have I been willing to do that or haven't I? Have I been willing to, to give up anything for God? Or am I just going to hold on to it and hope he, he just forgives me? And again, there's a concern that um, too many Christian people who are Christian in name um, are justifying 
and rationalizing every sinful desire that they have and activity that they have and habit that they have and trying to work it all out and just pretend like God doesn't really care about that when he absolutely says, if you hold on to your life, you will lose it eternally. If you give up your life, you will gain it forever. What do you think that means? It just means intellectually I believe in God? Or does he ask us to follow him? So you add to your faith. Faith. Now here's the thing. I know that there are people that want that kind of faith and they know that they don't have it. They, they want it. But they're not there and they don't know how to get there. And here's just one thing that happened. Jesus comes off the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down with, um, you know, Peter, James, and John, and they've just had this awesome experience. Um, and they come right into a situation where uh, uh, the disciples that hadn't been up on the mountain are trying to, you know, get rid of this demon and this boy and the dad. He's, you know, the disciples couldn't do it. Jesus, can you help? And, um, and Jesus, you know, he says, well, if, if I can. <laughs> he says, I, I believe, help my unbelief. And I do think that what happens for some people is they, they, they make a, a step towards believing in God, a step towards believing in Jesus. But there, there are all these things that are just weighing them down, holding them back. You know what I'm saying? And just that leap is something that is, is a struggle in their heart. And, and here's what I believe has to happen is that you cannot make that leap without God's help. In fact, um, Ephesians says that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. And even faith is a gift of God. And the wonderful thing about God is that you can ask him for his gifts. So if you're struggling with that faith, if you have that belief, but you're not quite there with that conviction, then you just say, God, would you, would you give that to me? Would you give me that faith? I'm, I'm meeting you halfway. I believe that you exist, and I believe that you reward those who, who earnestly you know, believe that you'll give good things to those who seek you. I believe that, but I'm struggling with the conviction. God, would you give that to me? And I guaranteeing you, okay, because I know God and I know what his word says, that if you do that, he will give you a certainty in your heart. He will give you the Holy Spirit. He will transform your heart. He will make you different. Now, we got to see, okay, that's the beginning, not the end. The, the Bible says that's where it starts. You don't, you don't just quit after you've gotten salvation. You've just entered into the, the battle royale, okay? <laughs> now you've entered the fight, and you got a lot of war coming. Spiritual battles that you're going to face day in, day out. But you are more than conquerors in Christ. Amen? He didn't call us to sit on the couch. He called us into a battlefield. And so he says, I will be with you, and I will empower you, and I will enable you, and I will give you the strength. 
But you got to realize that it's, it is going to be a battle. But it's worth the fight. Okay. So make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Goodness is virtue. Virtue is uh, moral excellence. It's purity. And, you know, again, we go back to Ephesians. You know, I'm saved by grace, not uh, by grace through faith, not by works. And then you say, but we need to do things for God. We need to try to live a, a life that is morally pure. You know, and, and oftentimes in the church, we, we hesitate to challenge people to live a moral life because we don't want to scare people off. Because we got people that li- are living in sinful situations, have habits, and we want people to be encouraged to you know, continue in their re- relationship with God and not get frustrated and give up or walk away because I called out a particular sin that you're actually dealing with, right? But <laughs> God calls us to reflect His nature and not to wallow in our nature. And that means that it's going to take some effort to, if I really love God and honor God and, and, and have him in my life, then it means I'm going to have to say, God, I want to be more like you and less like me. I'm going to add that to my faith. I'm going to try to reflect the moral purity of God. It doesn't save me, okay, but it will make you more confident of your salvation. <laughs> the more you walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, the more you sense and feel and believe and are, have confidence in the, the closeness of God and that he's with me. I'm his. You add to your uh, virtue or goodness, you add to that knowledge. And uh, knowledge, you know, we think of that as basically I'm going to sit and I'm going to read and I'm going to study and I'm going to look at the notes and I'm going to you know, figure out all the details and all that stuff. And that's, you know, there's some of that to be had, no, no doubt. But knowledge um, is about application and it's about experience. The Bible, when it talks about knowledge, um, more so is referring to having an experience of something, practicing something, um, having it happen in your life. That's, that's knowledge. How many of you took geometry in high school? Okay, how many of you would say you know geometry? Okay, now you got some math teachers, you got some people who actually apply geometry in their jobs. I took geometry in high school, and I would say I don't know geometry. I read the book, I passed the class, I took all the tests, and I, you know, got the the grade, but I don't know geometry. I forgot. Now, if I were to be in a, a job... Uh, like Jordan, who, who else uses geometry on a regular daily basis? John, you know, some people in construction who are actually building things and having to figure out angles and spaces and, you know, circumferences and diameters and all this stuff that I, you know, drives me crazy and I can't figure out and I just call somebody else to figure it out for me. You use it, you know it. It's like, it's not a mystery to you. Okay, you get the idea? This book is a mystery to many people who say that they are Christians. Not because they haven't read it. <laughs> you follow me? Because they haven't applied it. They haven't lived it. They're going on a class, so to speak, that they took. And, oh yeah, I read the Bible. 
and they've never allowed for the Christian life to be lived out on a regular daily basis in their life, and so they don't know many things that they should know. They, not you guys, other people. <laughs> so we add knowledge to our virtue. It's not just about faith. It's not just about, you know, growing in, in our, you know, trying to live it out. It's not just about growing in our knowledge. And then he says self-control. Self-control is mastering your desires, okay? Master your desires. You, you have sinful desires. We all can recognize that. Um, I think we all probably have um, good desires. Um, and so here's what happens is that one of the things that God does is he redirects our sinful desires. We, we want things in, in a fast, um, self-seeking, self-pleasuring way. God gives us, if you will hold on and, and wait and have self-discipline and self-control, then you can have lasting pleasure, eternal and, and pure. And so this is why, in just the example of uh, sexual immorality, is that if you'll wait and, and have um, a, a pure heart for your spouse, then you can enjoy, without guilt, sexual intimacy. But if you won't do that and you're going to continue to spiral into all the, the, your own desires in an ungodly way, then you're going to deal with shame and destruction and all the other horrendous things that can happen. You destroy relationships. You destroy your own heart. You, you join your heart with things that are evil. And he says if you'll direct your desires to that which is good and pure, then you, you have a better option here. God likes to direct us to things that are good. And so one of the things with self-control is to direct your desires to the things that are good. Sometimes, you know, I was uh, talking to somebody about uh, just things that aren't even immoral, you know, just time wasters. But they keep us from being um, in prayer and in the Word and with our family and doing things that are productive. And, and before you know it, you've wasted, you know, hours uh, on social media, video games, TV, Netflix, and all the rest of it. And, you've, and now your day is gone and you haven't done one productive thing in your faith. Just redirect. I'm not saying all that time. I'm just saying when you can redirect some of that time to the Lord, you can see that He will build in you good things. Okay, now here's what happens. We're going to go over, okay? I'm just going to tell you that right now. Like, settle in. If you got to, you know, take an intermission, then please do that. But um, here's what happens. When we begin to learn what God wants for us, then the process of self-discipline is this. Um, I learn that. When I fail, then I have this, this cycle of repentance. I can say, God, I'm sorry I missed your mark. Please forgive me, and I can start over. God, I'm sorry I missed the mark. I'm starting, and I keep coming back to that, okay? God, I, I'll, re that's a process that God has given us to, to help us to alleviate the, the unrelenting guilt that you would have if, he, if you did not have that. Praise God, that is God's mercy and grace at work in your daily life. That's a process that we need to remember. If I've failed, it's not I'm done. It's I need to start back over. And I t but the standard is still there. I don't give up on the standard because I missed it. Now, 
when you redirect your attention, your energy towards that which is good, and you begin to build that in your life over time, then you start to build Christian character. You still have the process of repentance in any area that you might miss the mark in. But what your goal is, is to build Christian character so that you actually want what God wants. And now those things that you used to want become things that you can't stand. And you, you're directing your heart and your attention to building that character. Okay? So that's self-control. And then you add to that patience. Patience, <laughs> obviously, this is going to take time. Um, but here's what happens. I'm going to give you a name, and I didn't ask for permission. I'm, I don't do that. Um, but Eric Johnson um, has told me, you know, his testimony, and, um, and he came to a moment in his life where he was desperate. And by the grace of God, God directed him to uh, Calvary, of uh, the Quad Cities, uh, uh, evening service. I don't know what kind of service it was, but an evening service, you know, worship message, or, and et cetera. And they had an altar call. And it was as if God just lifted him up off his seat and brought him to the altar, okay, and just changed his life in that moment. And that's how he received salvation. Some people receive, you know, uh, salvation that way who, who, who are changed instantly in that moment. Some people have that lightning bolt experience where just, you know, their, their, their heart has changed. They, they can write it on the calendar. They know the date. They know the moment. They know the event exactly. Many people don't have that. Okay, I don't have that. Um, I have a season where I was, you know, changed. And, and I'm sure there was a moment where I was lost and there was a moment where I was saved. I just don't know the date on the calendar that that happened. Okay, how many would you would agree with that? Okay, here's what I know, is that salvation can happen in, a, in an instantaneous moment. and probably does for everybody. Like, there's a moment where you get saved. But maturity does not happen that way. You can get saved... But you don't know everything you need to know. You haven't lived what you need to live. You haven't applied what you need to apply. You, you haven't been through seasons with the Lord. You haven't been through suffering in your faith. You haven't get, gone through dark, the dark season of the soul. You haven't gone through the, the mountaintop experiences. You haven't gone through betrayal. You haven't gone through suffering. Okay? That's the mature process. It takes time. It takes patience to let the Lord show you all the various facets of who he is. And you grow, but you cling to your faith through all those seasons and you, and you see maturity happen. Amen? You add to patience godliness. Okay, godliness is uh, reverence for God. There's an internal reality that, that um, manifests itself outwardly. Okay, you have a reverence for God. Um, you have... You have to retain this intentionally because I think that in our culture, uh, we have lost it, just lost a sense that God is holy. And, and God is our friend, and he calls you friend, and he wants a close relationship with you, but that does not make him like you. He's not like you. He is so far above and beyond 
His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He is the judge of the universe. He is holy. He is a consuming fire. If you don't respect him in his nature, then you will fall into the trap of disrespecting what his call in your life is. Um, I saw some email correspondences between Ravi and one of the people that was basically saying they were going to call him out on his behavior. And, and he said, you're not going to tell people it was me, are you? And just trying to really get this person not to say anything. And one line just was so upsetting. He said, if you, if you do this, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. I will die. I will kill myself. I will be gone. And, and just, I don't understand that. I don't understand having such a irreverence for God that you would escape humiliation, but put yourself into the hands of a holy God. Why wouldn't you just repent and trust in the saving power of God? I don't know. I don't understand it. But what I do know is that many people have that same battle within them. They, they fear the rejection of man. They don't fear putting themselves into the hands of a God who is holy and righteous. And this, this is why we always proclaim the gospel is because if even one person can possibly escape hell, then everything that we've done has been worth it. Amen? There's, there's no amount that we wouldn't spend. There's no amount of energy that we wouldn't expend um, to see one person escape the damnation that our soul deserves. But to take that for granted is beyond what I can understand. So there's a reverence that we keep, a fear of God that we retain in our relationship with him. Um, and added to that is brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is Philadelphia. Um, it basically is a community. We love each other, okay? And what that means is that uh, don't um, pull away from those that are going to influence you in a positive way towards Christ. The church, God blessed it. He made it. It's, the, it's his bride. It's his, he paid for it with his blood, with the blood of his son. Um, he desires for us to be congregated. That's what church means. It's not the building. It's the people. But it's not the people individually. It's the people collectively. And we have to collectively come and worship and more than that. Um, here's the, the unfortunate problem as we do define church is that we come and we have church, right? We've, we've had church today. You have, you've had more than you can handle. But you haven't been the church this hour, not too much, because what you're doing is you're watching somebody up front, and, and I'm seeing you, but you're not connecting with one another. The church is more than an hour on Sunday that you participate in or, or watch or view or see or hear. It's, 
It's you and me doing life together, studying the Bible together, encouraging one another, keeping each other accountable, um, being honest with each other, knowing each other, um, helping each other. That's, that's the church. That's what the church is. That's what brotherly kindness is, is always all, all about, is that we are um, related and intentionally related. Amen? It'll help you. Because once you get isolated, your, your heart um, is susceptible to so many things. And then you add to that love, which is the, and the other word for love, which is agape, which is different than brotherly kindness, uh, almost, almost 100% different. What that means is, uh, brotherly kindness means I like you, okay? Uh, agape means I'm going to serve you even if I don't like you. I'm sacrificially serving people, serving God, but I'm going to give my life, uh, I'm going to do things that uh, are hard, that I don't want to do, because it's best for other people, and it's best um, for God for his kingdom, for his glory, and for the expansion of his name, okay? So that's agape. You add all these things together, and then what happens is um, verse 10. It says, therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. These things don't save you. What they do is they give you confidence that you're growing to be more like Christ. It says, for if you do these things, you will never fall. If you do these things, I mean, if you live these things out, if you apply these things to your life, not just that you've heard these things and that you agree with these things, but that you have to, and I have to, begin to live this way. And where that starts is just hopefully the concern that uh, I would not have the knowledge of Jesus without it having an impact in my heart. Amen. That is one of the biggest tragedies in the world is that somebody would have the knowledge of Jesus and not the saving power of Jesus in their life. But secondly, okay, once that begins to happen in your life and you grow and you become more mature, now your life is lived as an expression to other people. It's transferable. It has to be transferable. It has to be something that other people are impacted by. And, and then we see the whole value of what God has done. He saved my soul, and I'm so thankful for that. But he's, he's done a step beyond that. He's taken this pathetic, weak person and used them to help somebody else to know him. What's greater than that? I'm telling you, there's nothing. There's no success, education, money, Accomplishment that will ever even come close to comparing to that your life drew somebody to the Lord. Amen? Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you have better things for us than we have for ourselves. Lord, we, uh, we pray for your Holy Spirit, God, right now. I pray that your Spirit would move Awaken um, in each and every heart the truth of who you are 
Lord, that there would be a, a, a desire to know you, to have these realities um, owned and expressed and lived and um, persevered in and um, transferred to others. God, I, I pray, I, I can't make that happen even in my own life. I only ask for it, God, in mine and others. That you would take your word as a kernel, as a seed, and bear great fruit for your kingdom. And Lord, we are just going to wait expectantly for you to move in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. If the Lord has called upon your heart in any way, you know, in this last uh, hour, then would you just make that known to him in a physical response? Come to the altar, kneel, even if it's just for a, a second, just to say, God, yes, I believe what you've said. I want to apply what you've said, and, and I'm going to come and make that known. Um, and we will pray for God to continue to work in your life here or wherever you are. Uh, but the altar is a place for us to make a decision. Amen? Let's stand and sing.